All right, so in this podcast, what I want to do is focus on um, uh, the differences, the distinctions between the diagnoses under the uh, somatic symptom disorders, because that's something that um, people often have difficulty with. Uh, so, um, so let's see, uh, I will roughly follow my slides, um, but, um, but I won't go into a complete description of these diagnoses. They're described for you in your textbook. I mostly want to focus on how they're different from one another. So the first diagnosis um, uh, in this group is factitious disorders. And actually there's two factitious disorders. There's factitious disorder imposed on self and factitious disorder imposed on another. Uh, these used to be called, no, actually they were never officially called this in the DSM, but, um, but they always sort of had the nickname of Munchausen syndrome or Munchausen syndrome by proxy. And, um, and when cases of this disorder come up in the news, um, they'll almost always refer to it as Munchausen syndrome or Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Uh, I guess Baron von Munchausen was a character in um, German folklore or something, and he was a teller of tall tales. Uh, you know, he was uh, he told these fabulous stories and stuff like that. Anyway, um, uh, in but the term factitious is the uh, actual diagnosis in the DSM. Now, factitious essentially means fake or lying. Um, However, this is distinct from malingering. In factitious disorder, a person... Okay, let's take factitious disorder imposed on self first. A person intentionally makes themselves sick. Uh, so they know that they're not really sick, but they do something to make themselves sick. And then they'll present to medical folks and say, I've got all these symptoms and I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, uh, cure me. Uh, and so essentially the lying part of it is that they're withholding the fact that they know what the cause of it is. Um, but the symptoms are real. They really are making themselves sick. Uh, and so, you know, to, to cause symptoms, people have been known to do a lot of kinds of stuff, often involving uh, taking medications that they don't really need uh, or um, ingesting chemicals or a lot of other stuff like that. Um, uh, however... In factitious disorder imposed on self, it really doesn't seem like the person is uh, doing this for any clear reason. Uh, that is, they're not clearly trying to get some concrete benefit uh, or, or, or escape some responsibility, as in the case of malingering, right? Um, it really seems that the person with factitious disorder imposed on self is primarily motivated by a need to be taken care of or pitied or somehow in the role of a patient and put themselves in the hands of uh, medical caregivers. Uh, and that's hard for a lot of us, including me, <laughs> to wrap our minds around, but that does seem to be the primary motivation here. Um, so it's not nearly as clear as in malingering. Um, but folks with factitious disorder have in the past, you know, allowed themselves to undergo all kinds of um, uh, unnecessary surgeries and stuff like that. Um, even while just to remind you, even while the person themselves knows that they don't really need this. Uh, and so, um, so people seem to go to great lengths to maintain um, this facade, this, uh, this uh, uh, it's not a facade, this lie of, um, <clears throat> of being sick and will, <clears throat> you know, undergo a lot of pain, a lot of risk, um, a lot of expense <clears throat> to do so. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> now, um, uh, often if a person with factitious disorder imposed on self is uh, 
discovered to be causing their own symptoms, they will initially deny it. Um, they may just sort of uh, drop out of treatment. Um, so if they're in the hospital, they're liable to just get up and leave and uh, you know discharge themselves against medical advice, and then you never see them again, you never hear from them again. Um, uh, in the old days, it seemed like people would then go to, you know, a neighboring county or a neighboring state and try to do it again. Uh, it's a little, it's probably a little harder now with, um, centralized medical records, but, um, anyway, the other version of this factitious disorder imposed on another is the one that, um, has been called Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Now, a proxy is somebody who stands in your place, right? And so, essentially, in Munchausen syndrome by proxy, the person is not making themselves sick, they're making somebody else sick, somebody in their care. Uh, often that's going to be their child. Um, there have been more and more cases lately of, of uh, elders that, um, you know, um, people are taking care of their elderly parents or something like that, and they're intentionally making them sick uh, in some ways. Now, uh, Munchausen syndrome by proxy is abuse. It's child abuse or it's elder abuse, plain and simple, and people have died from this kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> the motivation for that on the part of the person with the diagnosis is, uh, you know, perhaps even harder to understand. Um, um, but it seems to come down to that, um, that people who do this are motivated by a desire to be pitied by other people or to be seen as heroic or in a martyr role or something like, they want people to say, oh, look what a good mother she is. She's quit her job to take care of this sick child full time and all this sort of stuff, right? But they're really making their kid or whatever um, sick by, you know, giving them medicine they don't need or uh, poisoning them with stuff and all. And kids die from this. Now, <clears throat> again, I want to get to the distinctions here between other kinds of things. Um, there have been cases of people malingering for other people, but that's a little bit different too. Like, um, you know, uh, there have been people who claimed that their kids were sick and set up, you know, GoFundMe accounts or something like that for their treatment and the kid's not sick at all. Um, that's fraud, right? And um, that's not a factitious disorder because um, they're not actually causing illness for their child. They're just claiming it. And, and I believe there have been cases where the person doesn't even have a child. Um, but um, anyway, um, so, um, so that's a different kind of thing, and there's a clear monetary gain uh, involved in that. So that would be more like malingering or, you know, fraud. Um, a little bit different kind of thing there. Um, the next diagnosis uh, on slide number six is somatic symptom disorder. Somatic symptom disorder used to be called somatization disorder. And I mentioned the term somatization in an earlier podcast. Somatization is a useful term. Uh, it's, uh, it describes the phenomenon of when people have uh, fears or anxiety or stress, you know, essentially psychological pain that gets turned into physical symptoms. It becomes somaticized, right? Like if you're stressed and you get a headache, I mean, that's somatization. Or if you're worried and your stomach starts to hurt or something like that, right? That's somatization. We all do some somatization, I imagine. Um, uh, but this diagnosis, again, is where it's going to be very severe, um, extreme end of it. So here, um, the 
a person with somatic symptom disorder will often have a lot of different kinds of physical symptoms that don't seem to be related to one another, but the person is often suffering from physical symptoms. The symptoms are real. I mean, they really are feeling pain or feeling discomfort, um, but what this diagnosis implies is that the person's um, symptoms are due to psychological things, not necessarily physical things. Um, this, of course, is a difficult determination to make. Uh, we'd have to rule out a lot of kinds of real physical causes for symptoms before coming to, okay, well, it must be due to mental causes, but, you know, it can happen. Um, some of the symptoms in somatic symptom disorder can be pain symptoms, and so uh, there used to be an entirely separate diagnosis in this class for uh, pain disorder. People got really confused by what that meant, but um, but somatic symptom disorder with predominant pain means that at least some of the symptoms, uh, or many of the symptoms, involve pain. Now, uh, that would essentially mean that the person is experiencing pain that either is not related to a true physical condition or is disproportionate to a real physical condition. Again, that's a difficult determination to make because pain is kind of subjective. Uh, so that doesn't mean that everybody who has a pain disorder or chronic pain would get a diagnosis like that. A lot of folks with pain disorder or chronic pain, you know, have real physical uh, causes for that. Um, but, um, but this is where we would look at doing more psychological kinds of interventions for pain. Um, on a side note, uh, I'll mention that, um, you know, a lot of folks with disorders in this uh, class of disorders aren't really going to show up at a therapist's office and say, look, I have these problems, because they're going to be thinking of those uh, symptoms in terms of physical problems. And so for folks with somatic symptom disorder, um, it seems to me that sooner or later, a lot of them end up in the offices of medical quacks, um, uh, you know, and there are quack medical folks out there, uh, you know, chiropractors and stuff who have their own pet little theories and will diagnose everybody with the same thing and give them their vitamin supplements and all this kind of stuff. Um, and, um, you know, so I've seen a lot of patients with somatic symptom disorder who have gone that route and they'll come in with all kinds of, you know, brand name vitamins, uh, that they have to take from this particular quack who's the only one in the world who understands them. And of course that's dangerous and fraudulent and all sorts of things like that. So, um, uh, uh, anyway, um, let's see, um, our next diagnosis here on the, um, somatic symptom and related disorders is conversion disorder. Now, conversion disorder used to be diagnosed a lot more frequently than it is now. Uh, conversion disorder is when a person gets a sudden onset of some loss of function. So the distinguishing factors here in conversion disorder are that essentially the symptoms are generally going to be pseudo-neurological, that is, they're going to look like neurological symptoms, uh, so they're going to be some loss of sensation or some loss of movement um, that can't be explained by neurological processes. Uh, so obviously in the past when people understood less about how neurology worked, um, they were more likely to end up with a diagnosis of conversion disorder. Well, we don't know what's going on, so we'll say it's something in your mind. Now that does still happen today, unfortunately, that, um, you know, neurologists will still diagnose conversion disorder as their last straw diagnosis. If somebody has symptoms and they've run test after test and they can't figure out what's going on, they're liable to say, well, what we're going to diagnose this with is, you know, kind of the uh, 
trash can diagnosis of conversion disorder. So, um, so be careful with this diagnosis that a lot of times what it really means is that you've got some symptoms that the neurologist can't explain or can't explain yet. Um, uh, and that's a problem, right? Uh, but, um, but theoretically, this d disorder was um, pretty important uh, to Freud's theory and his development of uh, theory. You know, this was essentially his Freud specialty. He specialized in people who had pseudo-neurological symptoms. That is, they had symptoms that looked neurological but couldn't be explained by what was known about neurology in 1880 through 18, uh, through 1930 or whatever. And, um, <clears throat> you know, so he thought it was something in their unconscious mind. Um, uh, there are some particular hallmarks of conversion disorder that sometimes show up, uh, and that would be where the symptoms clearly don't meet any kind of logical, physical pattern. Um, you know, like if somebody has a glove anesthesia or something like that, that, you know, really doesn't make sense neurologically, at least if it's a sudden onset for it. And um, so they're liable to be diagnosed with conversion disorder. Um, we don't really know much about treatment for conversion disorder. Symptoms are liable to go away as quickly as they come. Right? And again, it's not diagnosed very much today. The last of the uh, somatic symptom and related disorders is illness anxiety disorder. Now, um, if you ask me, this one could easily go in the anxiety disorder chapter or the somatic symptom disorder. It really kind uh, it, somatic symptom disorder chapter, which is where the DSM put it now, right? But it really kind of rides the fence between those because what it essentially is is an illness phobia. Uh, so it's very much like a specific phobia, like in the anxiety disorders, where there's something very specific the person... Um, has a fear of and they avoid it and they think about it a lot and they have fear of it but what it is is anxiety uh, I'm sorry what it is is a specific illness the person believes that they have some kind of particular illness um, you know they may believe they have heart disease or brain cancer or something else and they're gonna tend to interpret any kind of physical changes in their body even mild symptoms in light of their belief in that diagnosis. So, you know, they might think, oh, well, I'm feeling a little lightheaded or a little woozy. Maybe that's the brain tumor that's causing that, um, that symptom, right? Um, so they're going to take what are liable to be everyday normal kinds of symptoms and uh, view them in light of their um, illness conviction, their belief that they have that. So, um, uh, so people with illness anxiety disorder really do have symptoms, um, uh, but their symptoms are more about um, their psychological symptoms related to their uh, uh, regular kind of physical symptoms or, or over-interpreting regular physical symptoms. The, um, uh, I hesitate to mention this without um, because it uh, has confused people in the past, but the old term for illness anxiety disorder in previous editions of the DSM was hypochondria or actually hypochondriasis. Um, and the reason I hesitate to mention that is because in everyday exchanges when people say somebody is a hypochondriac, they tend to mean that, you know, the person's sick all the time or is always complaining of symptoms, which is actually more like the, the, um, the pattern that we see in somatic symptom disorder, which is the main reason why this no longer has that name, okay? It no longer is called hypochondriasis because people kind of change the meaning of that word. 
Uh, and so illness anxiety disorder is actually a really good name for this one because it is an anxiety disorder where the person believes that they have some kind of specific sort of illness. Right? Um, okay, so, uh, so I hope that's helped to, um, to distinguish uh, between and among the different kinds of uh, somatic symptom disorders. Where are those bongo drums? <laughs>